0: North. come on, let's clap for Jesus. It's good to be in his house. Are you doing all right, family, today? Well, hey, I'm excited to share with you this new series that we're titling The Great Divide. But if you're here for the first time, before we jump into the Word of God, I just want to say um, how grateful we are that you're with us today, and we're honored that you decided to spend your morning with us. And those joining us online for the first time, welcome. And, of course, our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Show them some love, family. Clap for them. Are you ready to get into this topic? (laughs) Some of you are nervous. Um, Let me first begin by saying our intentions through this topic are to equip the church. The Bible clearly says that in the realm of leadership in the local church that we are called to equip the saints for works of ministry. Our environment should be equipping environment. Um, have you ever been to the gym and left and said, boy, that was easy, so easy? Um, I'll just keep going back. The idea is that anytime you are refined, there should be something um, that causes a change in you. And we may not be doing physical push-ups in here, but I pray that the Word of God challenges you um, and that you leave different. Can you say amen to that? And uh, every Sunday, some of you, it's, it's not easy to hear that. But what I've realized in my life is God cares more about our eternal destiny and cares more about the way that we walk than just the way that we feel um, and the way that we kind of, you know, react to certain things. And you don't need to. None of you are shocked. Anyone with eyes or a smartphone can see that we are living in a very divisive, divided time. Division is not new, however. Division has always existed, really, since the beginning of time. We are separated, segregated. We are divisive in culture today around nearly every topic, around our belief systems, denominations, and not even amongst denominations. Now in denominations, we see distinctions and division existing within theological doctrine. We see people divided over politics, over Presidents, over gender, over financial status, education, race, you name it. The list is very long. And I want you to know before we jump any further into all of this, that division was never God's intention, but it is very much a spiritual thing. Now, I know that every time you watch the news or you see certain political figures or you hear about certain um, agendas, agendas being advocated for, you can tend to jump very quickly, maybe towards a political direction or towards an individual. But I want you to know that at the beginning of all of this, it's a spiritual thing. Now, my goal today is to help you track back why your pastor is standing before you today telling you it's a spiritual thing. And yes, the enemy will use, individuals will use us to advocate for things that are in opposition to the things of God, but it finds his origin in in spiritual things. And it's important not only for us to understand that, but it's important for us to recognize it because if we see it for what it is, we'll react in a way that doesn't cause greater division, but brings actual unity to the body of Christ. If you see today amongst people, how many of you have um, seen the division just amongst your own family? Just amongst your own family. in holiday par- At holiday parties or gatherings or in simple dinners, you can find that when issues of politics or religion or finances or education or any social issues that are very prevalent in our culture, you can find that parents can often become divided with their children. Grown siblings can become divided amongst themselves. Spouses can become divided. Co-workers divided. Bosses divided amongst those who are employed at at their workplace. And the division just continues to create a greater separation of relationship amongst people. Over the course of this four-week series, we're going to be looking closer at the idea of division, the things that shouldn't be divided or should not divide us but often do, and also the things that should divide us, should separate us from the world but often do not. We're going to continue to dive in closer and look at what what we could do to help the problems from a biblical perspective. But this issue of unity and division as I said, our spiritual ideas, they're spiritual in its origin and they've been around for thousands of years. Division is not new, particularly in the Bible, but the extent of divisiveness has kind of reached a new level today. We often don't know how to react to other people that hold a differing opinion. We don't know how to respond to people that believe in a different way. And I want us to know that as the church, as the followers of Jesus Christ, he gives us not only a pattern of how to live in a divisive world, but he gives us a pattern as to how we are to walk and live with one another. And in addition to not only how we walk with one another, but how we walk in light of who God is. for many of us, if you're new here today, you may not be aware of this, but the Word of God... is what sets us apart. It's what we've surrendered our lives to. If you're new here today and you're like, what is True North Church all about? We are a bunch of imperfect people pursuing and following at our own choice a perfect God. And the Bible is something that we have a high view of. And when I say we have a high view of the Bible, it means this, that we believe it is the greatest authority given to man. There's nothing greater. And when I say that, it doesn't mean that that, I'm saying that just because I want to say that on the platform, and when I get off the platform, I don't believe that. I believe that there's nothing greater. I believe this is the highest authority given to humanity, and within it, it gives options of living. It gives a right and a wrong. The very nature of truth necessitates that. You know that? You cannot have truth without having a right and a wrong, and that's what the Bible teaches. It teaches us that there is a right and there is a wrong. Now, we live in a society today that wants to take this idea of truth and dismantle it, but they've done so in a very clever way. They've attempted to dismantle truth by, by speaking to the desires and feelings of society or of humanity, and humanity is somehow, they are very, and this, I want you to see it. The enemy is, is wise. When you read the story in in Genesis 3 about the fall of humanity, as we'll get to in a moment, it seems quite simple. It doesn't seem very tactful, but I want you to look at how the enemy today is having an entire globe believe at this juncture in time that truth is an illusion. That right and wrong don't exist. That right and wrong is strictly within the eyes of the beholder, meaning that every single one of you in this room can be your own decider. You can be your own who says, meaning this, you can be your own God. Now, no one would say that, quite frankly, on TV or on a news channel or no politician, but what we advocate today is that every one of you can be your own God. Whatever you see fit to do, you can do. Now, there is a direct example of that found in the book of Judges. And if you were to read the stories related to what happens to humanity when everyone does what they see fit in their own eyes, it's nothing compared to what we see today. In the scriptures, it was absolute and utter chaos and calamity when everyone saw themselves as their own hierarchy of authority. In John chapter 17, verse 11, Jesus prays this prayer to the Father. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. Speaking of the church, and I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name so that, he's saying protect them, why? So that they may be one as we are one. Jesus prays this prayer, clearly delineating that the church, the followers of Christ, would remain in the world. He would no longer remain in the world. We know the scripture says that he sends the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the the great uh, uh, Holy Spirit to abide within the believer. So he leaves, sends the Holy Spirit. We see this at at Pentecost. And it's within that moment we recognize this prayer is not to take us from the world, but to remain in the world. But he says, Father, let them be as one. Let them stay united, though they live in a divisive world. Paul would write in Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, about division that started in the early church. And some division exists because of the reactions or behaviors of people. Some of the... um, Division exists because of beliefs or theological positions, but Paul was writing about the way that they were operating as a family as it pertains to the Lord's Supper. He writes in the following directives, I have no praises for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are more divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Paul's saying you are physically together, but you are not in spirit and in mind joined together. And he says it creates greater dysfunction and greater division among you. Paul's writing that when we gather together as the saints, you know, the Bible calls us saints. We are the gathering of the saints, the children of heaven. When we gather together, we gather, and the Bible says that we should be united under the call or under the word and direction of Jesus Christ. Romans, Paul writes in chapter 16, verse 17, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. So not only does he address an issue in Corinthians to the church of Corinth, that some of your behaviors amongst one another are just not right. The way that you interact amongst one another is not right. It's not how you were taught. And it's creating greater division. He says you gather together acting like you're one in mind, but you're really not. He says you need to work towards that so that you can be united under Christ. Then he addresses a different issue here. He says that some of you are believing and you're being led astray by obstacles of teaching. He says, keep away from these people that cause divisions, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ. But listen, this is what he says. They, they are serving their own appetites. I want you to remember that, okay? Let me read this again. Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you've learned. Okay? He says, keep away from them, for such people are not serving the Lord Christ, but their own. Appetites or desires. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying when the church gathers, there's going to be some that come and have come in the past that, that teach things that are smooth in the way that they present them and they appeal to the desires of your flesh. Let me say it this way they make you feel good. They, they, they almost, there's something like, wow, that, that, I like that. I like that. I like that. Like, there, I, I wish, I've said this in the past. I wish there was a verse where it says, you know, the Bible teaches us. It says, it doesn't just say love those that love you. It says, love those that persecute you. The Bible teaches that you and I are to pray for our enemies, not to curse them, but to pray for them. Now, I wish there was one verse in the Bible that says, "Except those that say something about your mom or your wife, and then you can take them out, you know? Now, listen, if I said that to you, you'd be like, I like that. I like that. I like that. Now, some of us, this is the thing. When I say something that appeals to your flesh, you actually don't need to fight against it because it sits with you in a good place. And this is what's happening today. People are advocating for things that sit in the places of our flesh or the desires of our flesh, and it feels good. And Paul's saying don't fall for that. Anything that lays contrary to the teachings of what you've learned does not lead to life, but it leads to greater bondage and enslavement. And this is where our culture is today. Our culture is so caught, especially a younger generation. We are so caught in this this realm of desires and feelings. And I will say this, desires and feelings have become, in many ways, a God in and of themselves. It has become the very benchmark to discern that which is right and wrong. But if you pick up the word of God, the Bible says that we die to the desires of our flesh, that we have been crucified with Christ to the desires of our flesh. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And so when someone comes and says, ah, don't worry about that. Just do whatever feels right to you. Well, why would you oppose that? Why would there be opposition to that? It feels right. And then we have people advocating and saying, how can you deny someone's desires and feelings? They are real. They are real, and they've come from God. But our desires and our feelings, like everything else in our being, has been corrupted by sin. If you don't understand the spiritual nature of the fall of man, you would assume that every desire that we have in our very nature is pure and holy and right, but it's not. It's fallen and separated from God. And so we, those who have been covered by the blood of Jesus, who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we do not follow our desires and our feelings. Even though at times it's like, oh, I want to. We don't. We don't. And we live and hold ourselves to a higher standard. And that's what Paul's writing in Romans. He's saying that division doesn't just happen by accident. The enemy uses people to advocate for greater division. He appeals to the desires of the flesh. And he's subtle in the way that he does it. This happens in the church in all different levels. Some of you might be thinking I'm just talking about issues of of marriage and sexuality and gender. I'm not. This goes in the entirety of the things of our flesh. Unforgiveness, anger, generosity, serving, prayer, all of these things. The Bible says that our desires will push us one way, but we've been called to go in the opposite direction. And so what do we do as a church? You know, family, we have a lot of Australians that come and visit us. And I find a a desire to inform them of our nation. And sometimes it's interesting. Have you ever had someone come and visit your home one time and then you overhear them describing your home to someone else? You're like, wait a second. That's not right. You know, it's not who we are. I love the fact that we are very close to the city of Philadelphia, specifically to the founding of our nation. And I know today it's interesting. We are being told that we should not look backwards to celebrate the good, but we should only look backwards to find the wrong. And can I tell you, in our humanity, I don't care who you are, in your life, let's take out society in general, just talk about you. So i talk about myself. There's no possible way for me to look back in the course of my life and to just see good. I can't because I'm fallen in my nature before God. All humanity is. And so none of us can turn around and look at our past and say, wow, it's all perfect. It's not because it's separated from Christ. But there is a thread of God's grace in our life but you have to look for it. It doesn't mean we become ignorant of the brokenness of our past, but we should look for the thread of God's grace, his mercy, and his love. And so when you look back at the past and the founding, over 247 years ago, the Declaration of Independence was written right across the river. And what's so interesting about the formation of that document and though the power within it is, is evident, and if you read it, there's no way you could read it and say that was solely crafted by man. There was some type of divine providence involved in the room of those hundred men who crafted that document during the Constitutional Convention. Something supernatural was happening. And I say that to you because the, the, the founders were leaving a nation King George III was in many ways viewed in Britain as as God. Monarchies are typically viewed in past as that. They are God's. Their say is final. Right, wrong, or indifferent, their say is final. The most unique thing about the Declaration of Independence and the formation of our nation, this is fascinating to me, and it's, it's almost like there has been a divine providence in its structure and its origin. When the founders recognized that what was once received from the approval of a king and told that it only came from a, an approval of a, of a king, they acknowledge that the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness does not come from a man. And it does not come from a government. It is endowed by our creator. And therefore, the government should be created to protect that which God alone gives. Never before has that ever been crafted. So next time you put your hope and trust in the government, I need you to know something, that the founders never saw the government as the one that provides life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It does not. Because man is involved in government and therefore it'll be corrupt, broken, dysfunctional, and it will not work. But they recognize there is one who is the highest authority above everyone, and it's God. They said King George was the greatest decider in Britain, but in America it'll be God. And now think of it in your life. You may recognize God as the greatest decider in your life, but are there still areas in your life that you have refused to surrender to? And as you look back over the course of time, you can see it in the garden in Genesis 3. The serpent comes onto the scene. And by the way, nothing in his tactics have changed. It's the same thing. And my prayer for you as a a believer in Jesus Christ is that the Holy Spirit will give you eyes to see. Eyes to see the spiritual dynamic of what's happening around us as a people. But in Genesis, we see the great divide. It is the very divide prior to sin entering into the, into the world. Man walked, Adam and Eve walked with God in perfect unison and harmony in the garden. No obstruction, no sin, no calamity, no, no, no shame, no fear, nothing. Perfect union with God. And then a deceiver comes. A deceiver and the deceiver begins to question, listen now, the authority of God. And he does so in a tactful way. He just says, did God really say? <laughs> and I used to do that with my siblings when my parents would tell me things. I was like, did they really say that though? You know. And so you begin to move the authority. You begin to move the authority from the one who should have it over to you. And you don't really move it. You just present the option that it can be moved. So nothing's changed. You just present, like I could present to you, hey, I know you're a created being, but you can be the creator. Like what? Just presenting it out there, just throwing it out there. It's enticing to you. And then once he questions the authority of God before Eve, the scriptures say, That when the woman saw the fruit was good for food, what it it satisfied her physical need. Listen, not only satisfied, but it says it was pleasing to the eye and also desirable. Sound familiar? It's the same game plan, it's never changed. And who appealed to the desires of your flesh? The Bible says that there were consequences to choosing a way that was in direct opposition to God, which society will never tell you. Society will tell you that fulfillment and identity will come if you pursue the desires of your flesh. The exact opposite is promised to the followers of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible teaches that there was great calamity that transpired once they decided to dishonor God and identify themselves as the one who makes the ultimate decision. And this happens every day. And you and I are even tempted to this very day to do the exact same thing. The fall did not destroy truth. It exposed that it exists. And it presented the reality of what happens when you or I deny it or live in opposition to it. In 2 Corinthians, Paul would write in chapter 5, verse 14, he would say, For Christ's love compels us Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We have an enemy who loves division, who loves to divide not only the world from Christ or from God, but he loves to divide the people of God from walking out in fulfillment of what God has instructed them to do. Do you know one of the greatest gifts God's given us is the diversity and uniqueness represented amongst us? I love it. There's nothing greater. The diversity amongst the family and the uniqueness amongst the family should be celebrated because it's a reflection of the image of our God. But in a society today that is caught up in division, the society will tell you that the very diversity and uniqueness that we celebrate, we should divide ourselves because of it. Well, the scriptures say this. Paul writes, from now on, we no longer regard one another from a worldly point of view. So every time you look at someone who's different and unique, created in the image of God, but not like you, Remember that Paul writes that you should no longer view them as the world views them. Don't look at them the same. Now you might say, well, why? I've heard this, I've read that, other people have told me. Paul tells us why. You don't view them like that anymore. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Why, Paul? He goes, because if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. Paul's saying, you might have viewed yourself through the the lens of the world, but when Christ came to you, you're a new creation. You're not the same. You might have identified yourselves in such a way and says, well, this is who I am. This is what my DNA results say. This is my family educational line, and this is my financial line, and this is all the different statuses. Paul says, that's great, but we no longer view each other that way. Because we're one in Christ Jesus. And he says, why? Because we're new creations in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Can you say amen? And from that very point in time, when we see the great fall in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 3, everything you witness today is caught in that same spiritual fight. And you're part of it. Starts from within you moves to your marriage and in your family and into the communities and society. It's a spiritual fight. And throughout the scriptures we learn about the nature and the character of God. We learn through the Old Testament of the prophecies of one to come who would redeem humanity, save humanity from what? The very thing that separates us from God, which is sin. Society advocates for sin and God tries to separate us from it. So you could ask yourself, is division good or bad? Is unity good or bad? Well, it just depends what you're divided on and what you're united around. The Bible says that though we're in the world, we are not of the world. It means that we are divided from the world in which we live. We are. ecclesia, the church, that's the original name of the church. It literally means the called out ones the holy ones, the separated ones. What are we separated from? We're separated from a world that lives solely to please their desires and their flesh, but we pursue Christ. Can you say amen? That's what we're called out. We are literally divided in the eyes of God as sons and daughters of his. Now you might say, well, is it good to be united? I've heard people all the time saying we should be united, but united around what? There are so many causes under heaven today around the world. There are causes, lists of different causes that you could give your life to. You just could find one. Go online and there's hundreds if not thousands of causes that you you could give your life to. A matter of fact, if you go into the scriptures, you'll find that mankind was united building the Tower of Babel. Just because you are united together amongst yourself doesn't mean that that unity is honoring God. If we want to be united, we stand united according to the word of God and what the word of God teaches. Why? Because it leads us to life and wholeness. Family, you know almost every Sunday I read John three sixteen to you. I want to read it to you. I want you to listen to it. The scriptures say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world through Him. Did you hear it? For God so loved the world that He gave that whosoever believes would not perish. In the very verse itself, we see that division exists amongst humanity. And love did not come to divide us. It did not create division. But he responded to it to unite us under our relationship with the Father in heaven. Jesus would pray, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Christ didn't pray that you would be isolated from the world. He says, keep them in the world. Why? It's the same reason he describes you as the light of the world and the salt of the earth. He wants to use us as vessels to reach those who are divided from him because of sin. He says, protect them from the evil one. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Listen, family. Sanctify them. By the truth, your word is truth. The way we are sanctified, sanctified means to be set apart or to be made holy. The way that we are made holy is to walk according to the truth of God's word. Let me leave you with this final verse found in Galatians chapter two, verse 20. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me pray for you today before we go. David would write in Psalm 139, he would say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. We just finished the James devotional. And many of you know in James 4, he addresses this idea of being divided. But he first addresses the idea of division in a very intimate and personal way. He tells us that we are to submit ourselves to God, to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. He says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. But then he says, deal with this idea of being double-minded. You know what he's saying? Deal with the issue of having a divided heart. A divided heart simply means, are you the ruler of your life or is God the ruler of your life? Are you the king or is he the king? I'm here to tell you today, there is one king. There is one name that every knee will bow to. It's the name of Jesus. And he extends us the opportunity to recognize not only his lordship, but to recognize that he's in control of it all. That's why James would further write to humble yourselves before the Lord. And when we humble ourselves before the Lord, the Bible says he will lift us up. And so if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you're familiar with church, you've gone through the motions, you've attended church as a young person. Maybe you were told if you just stay in church your whole life that you'll end up in heaven. Well, my friend, the Bible doesn't teach that. It doesn't say that you earned your salvation through works. Jesus came from heaven to earth. To redeem that great divide caused by sin. Sin exists in all of us. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says none are righteous, not even one. So what shall we do? The Bible says the only way to deal with sin would be through the shedding of blood. Well, if you or I wanted to fix our own sin, we'd have to die ourselves and to give of our own life to pay for the penalty of our sin. But that's where Christ comes Christ came from heaven to earth, not just on a trip of his own accord, but on a trip to redeem humanity, to pay for your sin and mine. The Bible says when he went to the cross of Calvary and he was crucified, he became sin. He paid for the punishment of our sin. And that's why the Bible teaches in Romans 10, 9, that if you and I confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's king, the ruler of them all, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we shall be saved. For it's in, defeat, in Ephesians 2.8, it teaches that we are saved by grace through faith. You might be saying, where do I find some of this grace? How do I get my hands on it? It's Jesus. And the only way you can receive the gift that comes from Jesus is to humble yourself, to repent, to confess of who he is as being Lord of your life. And the Bible says that he is faithful to forgive those who call upon his name. And when you say a prayer of repentance and forgiveness and declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Bible says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the grave now abides within you. You are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. So if you're here today or joining us online and today is the day you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a simple prayer, but it is by far the most significant prayer you'll ever pray in your life. So come on True North family, help me lead people in this prayer right now. Repeat this after me. Say, "Dear heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross" and conquered sin in the grave. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give God some praise. Come on, family, stand to your feet. If that was you and you said yes to Jesus, listen to me. As you exit today, you're going to see people in the lobby waving these Bibles. It's a gift from us to you. We would love to talk to you about that decision you just made to follow jesus it's an important next step so make sure if you said yes don't be ashamed of it be proud of it it is by far the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life and and so if you're joining us online and you said yes let our team know the pastors online and the team leaders online and they'll do everything they can to get you a copy of this as well and for everyone else let me pray for you today before you go Will you stretch your hands to heaven let me pray over you father god i thank you for your provision over our lives for your protection For your hand of grace and mercy which rests upon us. Father God, I pray that you keep us united under your word. Teach us to walk in humility before you, God. May we humble ourselves. May we honor you. May we walk according to your ways. Father, give us the strength and the power to honor you in a fallen and a broken world. Father, we rebuke the spirit of fear and anxiety in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your healing power. We thank you for your redemptive power, for your restorative power amongst relationships in the family, God. We thank you that nothing is impossible with you. And so, God, we thank you that when man says no, you say yes. And, Father, we thank you that in the days to come, God, you'll create greater opportunity for us to honor you in the way that we live. Father, go with us as we go today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And the Faithful Church said, amen, amen. God bless family.